Welcome. My name is Karina Vaquera de Lugos, and we're going to be talking about home buying for the self-employed, what to do, what not to do, and how to get qualified to buy a house. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining me on this educational webinar. I'm excited that you are here and ready to learn about how to qualify to now that you're self-employed. It can be tricky, but if you know what banks are looking for, then you'll know how to set yourself up for success, and that's what we'll accomplish today. Let's get started. Here is our agenda. We're going to talk a little bit about me, just a bit. We'll go over the phases of the home buying process. We'll talk about how credit income and debt impact your qualification. We'll talk a little bit about how self-employed borrower income is viewed compared to W-2 salaried employee income. I'll also review with you what documents that you're gonna need. And then we'll go through an exercise, a hands-on exercise where we will be able to calculate your qualifying income and your debt to income ratios. And then at the very end, you'll have an opportunity to ask me specific questions about your own personal situation or generally speaking about anything that we reviewed today. So let's get started. So a little bit about me. I'm a first generation American. My parents came here from Mexico. These are my parents here. And then these are all of my siblings. My parents throughout their life accumulated six properties one in which they live in now, and five others in which they were e able to gift each of us the gift of equity in a home. My mission is to replicate this and to create more Joe and Josephinas. I'm also a serial entrepreneur. So I've had the ventures of going out into business on my own. I had a shaved ice business for a little while, and then I went into babies, uh, went into the baby equipment rental business with Babies Away Phoenix. My husband and I used to joke a lot around the fact that we had a van full of baby equipment and we had everything but the baby. So here I am after 20 years of financial services with the mission of increasing home ownership, creating multi-generational wealth, and we're going to create more Joe and Josephina's starting with you. So what does that home buying process look like? It starts with qualifying, either talking to me or another loan officer to create a plan and get you pre-qualified. Once you're pre-qualified, you're going to find a realtor that you vibe with. You're going to want to meet with somebody that you're going to enjoy talking to and working with for at least 30 to 60 days, perhaps longer, depending on how long it does take you to find that perfect home. Then um, after you find that house, you're going to make an offer and get your offer accepted. And then once you have your offer accepted, you'll work with your loan officer to get your, all of your documents submitted to underwriting. We'll order inspections so that you know what kind of the condition of the home uh, before you buy it. We'll order the appraisal so that we know the value. And after we satisfied all the bank's document submission, or sorry, conditions, then we'll move to getting our clear to close and you'll sign your loan documents. The, Bank will send the money over to the title company. The title company will then record your loan documents with the county, and this is what officially makes the home yours. Once we get signal from the title company that it's been recorded, then your realtor will get you your keys and then you can move in. But before we do all that, we've got to start with qualifying. So what is required to be able to buy a home? You're going to need at least decent credit. 
You don't have to have great credit. It just has to be decent. You can move forward with buying a home with a minimum FICO of 550 for FHA and VA and USDA. Those are government loans. And then you have the 620 FICO required for conventional. That's non-government guaranteed. Some things don't have as great an impact on your ability to buy a home as you might think. For example, bankruptcy. You can buy a home within two years out of bankruptcy. FHA also allows for you to have up to $2,500 of debt or collections in order for you to be able to still qualify. So it may not, necessary, may not be necessary for you to pay off some collections or pay off any medical debt in order to be able to qualify. In fact, medical debt is disregarded and not factored um, in as a debt obligation. So you could have tens of thousands of medical debt showing on your credit report. The damage to your credit score has already been done and it just has to be good enough. So if, don't worry if you have those medical debts on your credit report, we can overcome those. And when it comes to credit scores, when buying a house, the bottom line is that while higher is definitely better, it's just it just has to be good enough to get you approved. So think in terms of this. You don't have to ace the exam. You just have to pass. You're also going to need one year, at least a minimum of one year work history. Two is definitely preferred, but we have been able to get through with just a year of income. So you'll need W-2s or 1099s, depending on how you get your income. And some vendors may not provide you with 1099s, and that's okay as well. You're also going to have to demonstrate your ability to take on additional debt, which would be the mortgage payment. Debt-to-income ratios have a, a broader impact on your qualification than your credit score. And we need to keep your debt-to-income ratio to no more than 45% for conventional and 50% for FHA. There are some additional flexibilities that might allow us to go over these numbers, but for now, let's just use these until we have a more personal conversation about your specific situation. We'll talk more about how about your debt and debt to income ratio and how it impacts you a little bit later in the call. So your debt to income ratios are the biggest determinant of your qualification meaning that your income and debt have a greater impact on your purchasing power than your credit score. So again, your credit has to be just good enough, but your income does have to be solid. We do have to have a, a reasonable expectation that it is gonna continue into the future. So to prepare for our exercise later today, I do want you to start making a list of your monthly debt obligations, credit cards, auto loans, student loans, personal loans, anything like that that shows up on your credit report. Your cell phone bills, any subscriptions like Netflix or Hulu, utilities and rent, those do not count as debts. So total up all those minimum monthly payments for each account, not the current balance. We only add up the minimum monthly payment that you're required to pay, regardless of what you pay personally. So for example, if you personally usually pay $100 a month on your Capital One card, but your minimum payment is $55, we're going to use that $55 payment. Add up all those payments, set that aside. We're going to get to that in a few minutes. The next part of what's required for a home is your down payment and closing costs. So you have a minimum down payment for a first-time home buyer with no ownership in the last three years. It's 3% for conventional and 3.5% for FHA. So if we're going to use 
a $350,000 home, that would be $10,500 for a conventional down payment. There are down payment programs, uh, down payment assistance is available, but those do come with trade-offs. But if that is the only way that you can buy a home sooner rather than later, then we're going to forge through and we're going to try it out. It may be a tough market right now to be able to get those down payment assistance programs uh, accepted as cash and conventional offers right now are, the, are preferred by sellers in this competitive market. But we can get creative and perhaps win an offer with a for sale by owner. I have helped clients with this. So if that's the only way, we'll make it work and we'll make it happen for you. Now in this market, it's currently a seller's market and sellers don't need to offer to pay closing costs in order to sell the house. So be prepared to come up with those closing costs on your own. They can be anywhere between two and 3% of the loan amount. So if we're using that $350,000 purchase price as an example, that could be between $7,000 and $10,500, depending on taxes and insurance for your property, in addition to your down payment. So all up, you could be looking at maybe about $10,000, excuse me, you may be looking all up about $17,500 to $21,000 in order to be able to buy that $350,000 house. For comparison purposes, if you chose a less expensive house of maybe $250,000, then your down payment and closing costs might be closer to $12,500 to maybe $15,000 or so. So next, we're going to talk about how banks view self-employed borrower income compared to W-2 salaried income. W-2 borrowers are generally seen as more predictable and stable in their income. Employers pay for the majority of the employee's job-related expenses so that the bar what the borrower makes is his to keep, and you're taxed on that entirety. So when we're looking at W-2 borrowers, we do use their gross uh, income before any taxes are taken out. Now, on the other hand, self we self-employed borrowers, we earn our income, we spend on expenses in order to generate more business, and then we're taxed on the rest. In other words, our net income is what we're taxed on, and our net income or profit is what we'll use to qualify you. This would what you could consider your self-employed salary. They're all dependent. We are all dependent on ourselves in order to be able to generate our income, and the responsibility for the viability of the business rests solely on us. Versus a W-2 employee, that responsibility to keep the business open and running is with the employer. Employees, generally speaking, you show up, you get paid. If you're self-employed, if you don't show up and you don't do that job, we don't eat, we don't get paid. So next, let's talk about what documents you're going to need to be able to get through this home buying process. You're going to need your most recent two years tax returns. And so for now, that's going to be 2019 and 2020. Come April, after we've filed our taxes, we'll move to needing 2020 and 2021 tax returns. You're also going to need at least uh, your most recent minimum of one year's, two years again is preferred, of your 1099 if you receive those from clients. If you have clients who don't give you a 1099, that's okay. We'll use the Schedule C income from your tax return. You're also going to need two months personal bank or other statements to show that you have the funds needed to close. That would be your down payment and your closing costs. 
So again, if we're using that example of a $350,000 house, you might need about $17,500 to be able to show that you have your down payment and your closing costs all ready to go. You're also going to need a profit and loss statement. And if you use QuickBooks, you'll be able to generate this on your own. You just have to sign and date it and submit it with the rest of your documents. We're also going to need your most recent three months bank statements to support your income from your profit and loss statement. You're also going to need a letter from, your, from a third party certified tax preparer to validate your business's existence and the likelihood of continuance. It doesn't necessarily have to be from a CPA, but it does have to be from a certified tax preparer or an enrolled agent. So next we're gonna get into the hands-on portion of the program. So if you haven't already finished up that um, list of all of your monthly debts, because we're gonna be using that. And also um, Chelsea, I believe, put into the chat a Schedule C income calculator that we're going to be using. So if you haven't accessed that, you're going to want to grab that now because we're going to be moving on, like I said, to the hands-on portion of this uh, presentation. So you're going to need your Schedule C from your individual tax return, that list of your monthly debts that we discussed, and then the Schedule C income calculator spreadsheet as well. If you're looking through your tax returns, you're gonna to wanna to look through the Schedule C picture on the bottom. It should say Schedule C at the top left and then profit and loss in the center and then it'll have your tax year on the right. So we're gonna start with Schedule C, page one. And you should have that calculator up with you. I'm gonna stay here on this slide to show you what we need to do. So we'll have that Schedule C income calculator the total of all your monthly payments. And then we're looking for number 31 on that page one of Schedule C. And then this is what your Schedule C income calculator should look like for us to start our little process. So you're gonna take the number that is in line 31 on your tax return on the Schedule C, and you're gonna enter that in cell B3. Next, you're gonna take the number that's in line 30 and you're gonna put that into cell B4. Now you may, have a, you may have nothing in that box 30 and that's okay. Some of these boxes you may have zero in there and that's perfectly fine. If you have zero, you'll enter zero in your spreadsheet. It will accept that. Now you're gonna enter the number from line number 12 into cell B5. From here, we're gonna look at number line 13, and we're gonna enter that into cell B6. Next is entering line number 24B into cell B7. And then the last thing we're gonna enter in is going to be line number 44A, and this is from page two of your tax return. And we're gonna enter that number for business mileage into cell B. Now, for those of you who had numbers for those items 12, 13, 24B, and 44A, did you notice that your monthly income calculation went up? And this is because our guidelines allow for these expenses or deductions to be added back to your income. Now, I'm not giving you any tax advice, so I recommend that you certainly seek tax advice elsewhere from a certified and professional tax person. 
but you may be doing yourself a disservice by not claiming depreciation for your business equipment and not tracking your mileage when you're going out to meet clients, going out to your jobs or what have you. Because these are additional expenses that could help lower your tax obligation and increase your qualification amount. So you may want to start tracking those items because they could help you in the long run. So now you should now have your, your own personal qualifying income. And using the example that we ran through just now, we would have arrived at a qualifying annual income of $76,032. If you're looking at my screen here, you'll be able to see line 31 has this individual's net income. He didn't have any deductions for lines 30, 12, 13, or 24B, but he did have substantial mileage which was calculated at this particular rate of 56 cents per mile. And then that's, that was all added up together. And we got the income of 76,032. We divided that by 12 and that's how we arrived at his qualifying monthly income of $6,336. Now debt to income. I talked about how this is a really important factor in you being able to qualify to buy a home. So your monthly debt to income ratio is calculated by taking your monthly debt, including your monthly mortgage payment, and dividing that by your total income. So you should by now should have had all of your monthly debt income payments added up together. And in this example here, we're going to use a home price of $350,000. And that's going to give us a more monthly mortgage payment of $1,929.16. In my example here, and yours may be smaller or higher or lower, but in this example, we have $50 a month for credit card debt, $125 a month for personal loans, $350 a month for an auto loan, and $350 a month for student loans. My mouse is a little stuck here, so I apologize. There we go. Now we're going to do the debt review. So we've already reviewed all the debt. That's here in the total monthly debt obligations. And then the monthly mortgage payment is there, the 1929.16. So if we add those two up and then we divide by the total monthly income, we're arriving at a debt to income ratio of 44.36%. So we're well under that 45% threshold for conventional and this person would qualify. Now, I do want you to take a look at, sorry, I'm a little behind here. I do want to talk a little bit about how more impact, more debt will impact your purchasing power. And then we'll also go through how less debt can impact your purchasing power as well. So I'm going to stop here and I'm going to share, go to our spreadsheet. So if you have that Schedule C income calculator, I do want you to pull it up. And then there is a tab at the bottom left that'll say income calculator. And then there's another tab that's gonna say DTI. I want you to open that one up because we're gonna go over this example here, kind of what we reviewed before. And we're gonna play with this calculator. This calculator is for you. You can go in and you can use the, this calculator to type in your own information based off of your own Schedule C with your own personal debt and we'll see how we can arrive at a home price that you can qualify for. I like to give my folks tools 
for how they can be self-sufficient and kind of work on their own here. So let me see, I think I just was 52,205. Yes, okay, there we go. I'm gonna go back over here. And we're pretty close to what we had in our example a little earlier. So here we go. We can see the monthly debt of 875. That goes over here in the monthly debt obligations. Here's the monthly mortgage payment for that $350,000 house. And then our same income from before. And we're arriving at 44.35% debt to income. Now I'm going to add in, let's say, another credit card, another loan for $100. And Maybe this person has a second vehicle and that car payment is $500. Now we've just moved our total monthly debt obligations up to $44.75. Our income hasn't changed. So therefore our debt to income went up. And what that means for us in this example is that we're going to have to lower the purchasing price. And we're going to see if maybe we could get by with a $300,000 home. We might be able to get by with an FHA. That Usually the cap on that is 50%. Like I said, there are some additional flexibilities here, but we may need to come down to 290,000 for this particular person if our income is gonna remain the same at 63.22. So if we have more debt, it's gonna eat into our purchasing power and increase our debt to income here. And so you wanna make sure that you monitor those items, because you can certainly buy a house, even though you have debt, you don't have to have zero debt, but you just need to have a nice balance so that you're not going over the debt to income thresholds. Now, let's say this person decided that, you know, I want to attack my debt and I'm going to pay all of these things off. And usually it's the dreaded student loans that linger for those of us who still have it. $350 per month. That's all the debt that we have. And now you can see how our income hasn't changed again but our debt to income went down pretty substantially. So what does that mean? It means we can definitely go back to this $350,000 purchase price, but maybe we have a large family or maybe we just want a big house or maybe we wanna be in a certain neighborhood and the neighborhood that we wanna be in has a home of 450,000. Now that we have only $350 of outside debt, we can actually qualify for substantially more without having changed our monthly income. So that's kind of to highlight for you the impact of debt on your purchase power. Now, let's go back over here and let's say that our person, maybe they made more, maybe they made $60,000 and now their income went up to $69.71, which is in that cell 12B. We're going to go over to our debt to income ratio tab and you can see that now our debt to income is even lower. So this person Actually, maybe they say they are like, you know what? I think I need to get a new car. Maybe I want a new car. Maybe my engine blew out. They add another $500 total debt. And now their income is still within an acceptable ratio, at least for FHA. So debt to income have more of an impact on your qualification and your purchase power than your FICO score. So I want you to bear that in mind. So when you're thinking about what should I put my resources towards, should it be towards lowering debt? Maybe this calculator can help you determine that. Maybe it's a matter of putting your efforts into increasing your income because maybe you're gonna have that car loan for the next five years because you just bought that car and you can't get rid of it anytime soon. But knowing your numbers and knowing 
what the bank is looking for in terms of qualification amount, debt to income ratio is really going to empower you to go into the home buying process more informed, more empowered, and feeling like you're, you're doing the right thing and that you're able to qualify with the income that you have. So let's flip back. I'm going to show you, go back to our original screen here. Let's see. All right. So what did we learn? We learned more about the home buying process. We also learned how to calculate your self-employed Schedule C income. And we also learned about the impact of debt on your home purchasing power.